Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash CNN for a $1 per month trial. Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director, and welcome to the new CNN political briefing. Political polling has gotten a bad rap of late, no doubt. But remember, polls are supposed to be a snapshot in time, not necessarily predictive of how political races are going to turn out. They can be a helpful tool, but we have certainly learned in these last few election cycles that they don't always hit the mark. There are polls on races and issues that make the headlines of the day, but then there are polls that the campaigns are doing internally for a whole host of reasons. I want to dig into all types of polling today. The polls that the media report on, the ones you and I typically don't get to see, the ones that inform the candidates about what their next moves on the campaign trail should be. If you look at polling for the current Republican presidential race, former President Donald Trump has had a commanding lead for months now. But his rivals, like Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, to name a few, still believe they have a shot at the nomination and they brush off all this national polling as irrelevant. Polls don't elect presidents. Voters elect presidents. Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina will decide where we go. All the media organizations pay for these national polls, and they are a monumental waste of time and money. Are they right? Or are Republicans poised to coronate Donald Trump as their nominee without too much of a fight? Well, my guest this week is one of the perfect people to ask. Neil Newhouse, he's a partner and co-founder of Public Opinion Strategies, a national political and public affairs research firm that conducts polling for Republican candidates up and down the ballot. His firm is currently working for the DeSantis campaign, but Neil himself is not directly involved in the effort. He's also polled for four Republican presidential campaigns and was the lead pollster for Mitt Romney's 2012 White House bid. He's been named pollster of the year, by the American Association of Political Consultants three times. He's joining me today to give us an inside look at how pollsters work with campaigns and why this Republican primary appears to be unlike any other. Neil Newhouse, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Your firm, POS, is in business with the DeSantis campaign, and I know you are not yourself working on that campaign, but because you consume so much polling, can I get your overall sense on the state of the Republican nomination race? And because you have had direct experience in working on races for the Republican presidential nomination, do you look at the totality of everything out there and think that there is a truly viable path for a non-Trump candidate? David, that's a tough one. I mean, given the numbers right now, it's obviously a a very challenging path for a Republican challenger against Donald Trump. The truth is nobody's voted yet. Truth is we've got, you know, months to go before the election, apart from voters in New Hampshire and Iowa who follow politics day in, day out. Other voters in other states wait until it's their turn to vote to really assess the candidates. So we've got a long ways to go before we hit Iowa, New Hampshire, a lot of stuff can happen. And, you know, Trump is certainly in a strong position. And the indictment certainly looked like they have helped his support rather than diminished it. Something unusual is going to have to happen to derail him. People say, how can he, after having been indicted in you know four different cases, how can his numbers have gone up among Republicans? And I re- I'm reminded of 
when Republicans impeached Bill Clinton back in the day, and we would ask his job approval rating, and his job approval rating actually was higher post-impeachment than it was pre-impeachment. When Republicans attacked Bill Clinton, Democrats came to his defense, and his numbers went up. So when perception is, you know, Democrats are on a political witch hunt against Donald Trump. What do Republicans do? They come to his defense. And so that's why his numbers, his favorability among Republicans has maintained, uh, you know, real strength. And his uh, ballot support numbers have actually increased as a result of the indictments rather than gone down. Neil, I hear it from everyday people I come across in life. I hear it from our listeners of this podcast, from CNN viewers. There is a constant critique of polls and whether or not they're even useful anymore and are they truly accurate. Do you want to offer a defense of polling? Listen, polls aren't designed to try to predict who's going to win or lose. There are snapshots in time. And the Trump years have made it extraordinarily difficult for us to be really accurate in the late stages of a campaign. Trump spent years basically bad-mouthing polls and telling voters that they were biased. And so we found kind of a non-response bias among some of his voters, making it more difficult for us to be more accurate in assessing his support. These polls are still unbelievably accurate. To, To think that you can interview 800 Americans and be plus or minus within a couple of points of where, you know, uh, the country is on any number of different issues is incredible. And people say, well, how can you interview that few people? And the best analogy I always have is when you go to the doctor and you get a blood test, they don't drain all the blood from you to figure out your blood type or your cholesterol, thank God. (laughs) I think polls are accurate. I think people use them oftentimes for the wrong purposes, which is trying to predict who's going to win or lose. There is a margin of error in every survey. You, You understand that. You take that in, accept it. But you still use the poll to figure out you know, where you are in a campaign, where you need to go, what messages work, what d- doesn't work, and what voters you're trying to – you need to move your direction in order to win an election. So obviously listeners of this podcast consume a lot of polling. But the reason I wanted to talk to you because I wanted to talk to somebody who has been a campaign pollster, which I think is – a unique role for a pollster. We obviously do polls here at CNN. Other media organizations do. Other nonpartisan actors are in the polling space. But a campaign pollster has a particular responsibility of sort of being the truth teller inside a campaign operation. How do you approach the role from the inside about explaining to a candidate what you're finding about the electorate, especially when it may not be news they want to hear? You know, in a in a political campaign, especially in a presidential level, the pollster wears many hats, and just one of them is kind of taking polls and explaining it to the campaign. My most recent presidential experience, the most meaningful for me, was obviously with the Mitt Romney campaign in 2012. There weren't all that many meetings that the candidate himself was actually in the meeting going through the polling data. It's basically the rest of the team. My job is not just 
to report the numbers. Anybody can do that. But what you would try to do is say, okay, here's where we stand. And then here are the messages that we need to get out to these voters to move them our direction. You cannot stop at just saying, hey, we're eight points down or we're tied. Or You need to say, okay, here are the key voter groups. Here's what we need to get across about our guy, about our opponents. Here are the, you know, the, the kind of leverage points we need to be talking about. And here's the message we ought to be putting on TV, potentially. I mean, we test ads in these focus groups to figure out two weeks ahead of time what was going to work and what wasn't going to work. It was an all-encompassing role, only a part of which is actually doing polling and reporting it to the campaign. And Neil, would you rebut a poll that you actually thought was methodologically sound, but just it was bad news for you guys? That's a tough one, David. For the most part, if the data was significantly off from where we thought we were in that state, we would knock it down as best we could. And that was for internal purposes in the campaign and also, you know, for finance purposes. Our finance people, the people who who were supporting the campaign, wanted to know, what about this other poll? We'd have to fill them in on that. But there were times when there were close calls and we would sometimes try to cast aspersions on another poll simply because we just thought the numbers are wrong. It was just too far out of whack. So qualitative versus quantitative, I know the two talk to each other, but do you find one more valuable than the other in terms of campaigns? Truthfully, when you think about qualitative and quantitative, they actually work together. We try on our surveys through the verbatim open ends on our surveys to get as much kind of qualitative data. So we ask, what have you seen, read, or heard recently regarding, you know, Mitt Romney's campaign for presidency? Did it give you a more favorable or less favorable impression? And what was it specifically that gave you more fave, less fave? And then we would we'd read through all those responses. I found when I looked at data, the most important things I, I did when I get a survey back, I look at the top line, I look at a few of the cross tabs, and then I read every single verbatim I can read. And sometimes it's 40 pages worth of verbatim comments, but it gives me a sense for what voters are saying. That kind of takes the place to some extent of doing qualitative and focus groups. But even during the uh, the Romney campaign, we scheduled focus groups I think it was every Sunday and Wednesday for the last eight weeks of the campaign to try to figure out what was what was sticking and what wasn't and what messaging was working. So they work hand in glove. I still like doing those focus groups to get firsthand views of, of what voters are saying. Well, God, one funny story, David. Um, I did focus groups when I'm not going to tell who it was, but you generally don't want candidates behind the glass when you do focus groups. That sounds like a good it, rule of thumb, yeah. Yeah, it really was, and I broke it. I had a senator behind the glass with me one time, and we did two groups. He left, I think, in the middle of the second group, and one of the guys in the back room and his staffers told me that if he'd stayed for the second group, he would have dropped out of the race. <laughs> so it's, you know, hearing what voters say unvarnished is not always the best thing. You know, you... You have to you have to understand where the candidate's coming from. This is his or her name on the ballot. This is, you know, their livelihood. And you have to respect where they're coming from and and the amount of time and effort they put in to get to where they are. For candidates to put their, their names on on the line, on the ballot, is remarkable and shows real support for kind of democracy in the country and uh on my side, I need to be respectful of, of what they're putting in and just and be careful now I talk about some of that stuff. 
We'll be right back with a lot more from Republican pollster Neil Newhouse. Shopify's taking the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing for your retail store? Upgrade your point of sale system with Shopify. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. Get award-winning support and see why millions of businesses worldwide trust Shopify. Do retail right. Grab your $1 trial at shopify.com slash CNN. Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash CNN for a $1 per month trial. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back. We're here with Republican pollster Neil Newhouse. I do want to ask, Neil, how did you get into this? How does one start a career as a pollster? That's a good question. I went to Duke University, and when I was at Duke, I took a voting behavior course and then a methodology course. And then, this is going to date me, but in the 72 election, we had two national pollsters come down to Duke to speak. And it was Peter Hart and Pat Cadell. Democratic pollsters. Democratic pollsters. And it was it was it was fascinating. I loved it. I ended up getting an internship at the Republican National Committee in survey research in '75. My intern coordinator was Carl Rove, and then I did campaigns. I think what makes pollsters really good at what they do is having on hands-on campaign experience. I actually, I ran a congressional campaign in New Jersey. We beat a six-term incumbent, and then I went back to doing campaigns across the country, literally hundreds and hundreds of campaigns as a kind of a consultant, as an RNC field guy, before I ever became a a full-time pollster. So I started working for Dick Worthlin. Worthlin did Reagan's polling in 80 and 84, and I started with him in, I think it was 82. And then we started our own firm, Public Opinion Strategies, with two of my partners in 1992. And you've never looked back. Never look back, but it's also, I feel like I'm really competitive and this is, and I love politics and this gives me a way to kind of get my competition fix without getting myself injured. (laughs) Excellently said. You know, Neil, we here at CNN have pretty strict polling standards on which polls meet our standards to report on because there is a lot of not great polling out there. We see that impact sometimes when you go to a site that averages a whole bunch of polls, but a lot of those polls could be not great polls that get thrown in that average as well. One other piece of our standards is that we don't report on internal campaign polls. We would not report those numbers on air because we can't, we don't have full insight into the poll. We were not able to vet it. Do you think news organizations should take a campaign's poll and report it as is if the campaign is offering it? Well, I mean, that's you have no idea how frustrating that, that is for a campaign pollster that that you won't, you know, take data that we think is is valid. The, the challenge, though, is is most times when we want to release data, it is good news for us. But you know, we didn't we don't set it that way. It just happens. But I think the campaign polls. I'm paid in the campaign to get get an accurate picture of where the heck the candidate stands. 
it doesn't do me any good to have you know data that is putting a thumb on the scale from my candidate internal to campaign. That does me no good whatsoever. I want the most realistic view. And I think from Democrats I work with, the other side of the aisle, they feel the same way about their polling. I think a lot of times that you guys pass up on some of these internal polls and then maybe give more credence to some of the national polls done by media organizations that may not hold a candle to our methodology. I mean, the recent Washington Post poll was when they're writing about it as saying this data is an anomaly, that's got to have your, your head scratching in terms of you know, what they really think of their own data. Well, do you support that notion, though, that if you get an outlier and you are a public pollster and you release your polls, that you still need to release it and explain it that way, that it doesn't look like other stuff that's out there right now? Well, well David, when we see data that doesn't look right, we redo the friggin' poll. We've done that numerous times. You redo the poll. You do maybe an extra 500 interviews or so to make sure that what you see is correct. But you don't put out data and then say it's an anomaly. So you thought that was a mistake for them to release that? Yeah, but they are, I mean, they're out, they're out to make money. And, you know, they it costs a lot of money to do polls right. And so that's the decision they made. I've been faced with that decision of getting an outlier poll back. And, you know, we came to the conclusion that the Post did, too, where releasing it bolsters your credibility that you're willing to explain that this doesn't look like everything else, but this is what we got on our methodologically sound way of doing polls, and therefore it is worth putting into context when we release it. Well, what I would have done is, is taken a, a subset of the questions they asked and re-asked among a, a new 500 sample just to see the differences. And methodologically, as polls have moved from landline telephones to online, are you finding that you are able to conduct polls in a way that you are still getting a true representative sample. Yeah, but boy, David, it's getting tough. Um, when I first started doing polling, I, I, the first poll I was ever involved in was in college, and we actually did door-to-door polling. It gives you an idea how old I am. I think 80% of our polling is now done on cell phones. And so it, that has changed dramatically. And our response rate is just continuing to go down. Um you know, people tell me all the time, well, you know, I don't know who you're polling because I've never gotten a phone call. And, I, and my argument is, well, you know, quit screening your phone calls and answer it when we call you. But it's becoming more difficult. It's becoming more expensive. And the more expensive it is, the more difficult it is for news organizations and others to help pay for for quality surveys. It's a real challenge. I think we still have good data, even though we have low response rates. We always check every single sample we do to make sure it matches age, education, ethnicity, 2020 you know, presidential vote, etc., just to make sure we've got what we think is a valid sample and represents the people of the state, the district, or the country. So we validate every single survey we do to make sure it, it, it hits what we know to be you know, the real characteristics of a constituency. Is polling more art than science or more science than art? Polling itself is science. The interpretation of polling is art. Different pollsters look at different data and come to entirely different conclusions as to what ought to be done in a political campaign. So I think there is both art and science. I think science is how you conduct the poll, and then the art is what questions you construct 
to get at the points you're trying to get at and what you do with the data, the analysis and the action plan that you lay out. Neil Newhouse of Public Opinion Strategies, Republican Super Polster. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. That's it for this week's edition of the CNN Political Briefing. We'll be back next Friday, October 13th, and nearly every Friday after that with a brand new episode. As we gear up for yet another pivotal election cycle, I want to take you inside the latest developments of the 2024 race from the campaign trail and beyond. Join us each week as we speak to candidates, campaign managers, party leaders, pollsters, and political reporters on the ground in key states. And we want to hear from you. Is there a question you'd like answered about this election cycle? Is there a guest you really want to hear from? Give us a call at 301-842-8338 or send us an email at cnnpoliticalbriefing at gmail.com. And you might just be featured in a future episode of the podcast. So don't forget to tell us your name, where you're from, how we can reach you, and if you give us permission to use the recording on the podcast. CNN Political Briefing is a production of CNN Audio. Our episodes are produced by Krista Bowe and Anna Sterla. Our senior producer is Haley Thomas. Greg Peppers is our supervising producer. And Dan DeZula is our technical director. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of CNN Audio. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week.